0: We've got to learn as humanity to just think more in terms of we instead of I. So if something affects 50% of us, then it sort of affects all of us. So let's all just yep. talk about it as much as possible because it's important to sort of understand how powerful hormones can be.
1: It's sort of scary in a way that they, they are so powerful. I think that's part of the, the most
0: powerful drug on the planet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to Working It with me, Isabel Barrick. Today we're talking about the menopause, which actually in the workplace turns out to be more than just your manager's jokes about hot flashes. Menopausal symptoms are directly linked to why one million women in the UK alone have left the workforce. So what can you do to help your employees and also yourself when you get to that age? Well, to find out more, we'll hear more from Landy Slattery and Naveen Alim who have day jobs at Britain's Channel 4 television company, but they're also co-chairs of 4Women, Channel 4's gender equality employee network. It aims to empower women in the workforce and help them do well at work, but they also talk about things like pay equity, maternity policy, and recently they realised there was one subject that was still completely taboo, the menopause.
2: So we would hold kind of meetings with our network. It suddenly got on to menopause and it was like this snowball effect. Someone started talking about these symptoms that they were experiencing and how they didn't feel comfortable revealing that or talking about it at all. And then it kind of opened it up so people started sharing. Landy was one of those women, right? Yeah, so what I
0: had experienced was I'd had a year where I'd sort of been struggling a little bit, and things like being able to make decisions and also general contentment. And there was like an anxiety, and I was just absolutely flabbergasted that I just didn't know anything about it. And that, you know, even women that I'd been really close to had been going through it and they hadn't shared either. So it was this kind of thing where we were like, what on earth is up with this? And what was interesting is, is that when we mentioned it, of course, we mentioned it to our sort of core committee and quite a lot of women in that were senior women in the business and for them to just hugely engage and say, oh, my goodness, yes please, can we talk about this? That's what's so shocking is that it was just not even a subject that people were looking at when we've got all these kind of like targets that we're going for for gender equality. And the fact that there's this thing that sort of hits women just as they are heads of departments or execs on the board, that suddenly they go through this and it's not a conversation that's just open. And that's when women, you know, often do dip out of their careers.
1: Yeah, there's a huge attrition of women from the workforce. Yeah, there's a huge drop. Yeah, yeah. So the group decided they needed a policy, and that was in part to give people the tools they needed, but it was also to get people talking about it. And they started by making
2: a list. It was around the quiet space to go to, if you had a hot flush, different flexible working times, line manager training, desk fans so it's sort of focused on practical and then there's the other side of it which is actually about the education and raising awareness in
1: 2019 during a panel discussion on world menopause day
0: four women introduced their menopause policy it was amazing because when we launched it, we had a panel discussion and we had Dorothy Byrne, who had recently, that summer, done the McTaggart speech at the Edinburgh TV Festival and had mentioned menopause and that had made the news. Our policy had made global news, which, I mean, it's amazing and obviously we're hugely proud of it, but it's mad in a way that it wasn't been talked about anywhere before that. But there was also a chap in the audience, wasn't there, that just suddenly realised that... His wife was perimenopausal and he got to go home and he got to just say, hey, listen, love, I think I know what's wrong, which was just like the most loveliest part of the story as well. Right, because it is sort
1: of shocking that women themselves often don't yeah. put, you know, the brain well, fog I and the didn't. anxiety yep. can often be not recognised by women themselves. So presumably having a corporate something at place at work has an educational as well as a practical point.
2: And it's like women, when we did our first original focus groups, were saying that they go to the doctors and they get prescribed antidepressants. So that's why, since we launched, our policy has been updated, firstly to introduce medical cover. So we were really astounded, weren't we, when we looked into it, that our private medical cover at work didn't cover it. There was just nothing. But since then, the channels work with Bupa and now we have a menopause package added on. So it's really new and it's quite groundbreaking. And I just wanted to ask about have you met any resistance to talking openly
1: about menopause? And if so, is it from women themselves who don't want to be perceived as weak or is it from younger people who might be
0: squeamish about it? Has there been any pushback? The only place I really do see it is with women who are getting close maybe to the age, that they could be menopausal and sometimes there's just a little bit of, you know, and you really realise that ageism is just such a huge part of why it's not been an open conversation and why women have not shared with each other because people don't want to really attach it to themselves because it's got this over the hill dried up washed up kind of you know grumpy women you know it's had this sort of perception whereas it's actually a hugely creative time for women and there's a whole other way of looking at menopause and what it really means
1: so i'm going to discuss all of that with brooke masters ft columnist working at regular and the u.s investment and industry editor brooke welcome Hi. So we've heard a lot there about menopause at work. And it's true that it's been something that hasn't really been talked about. But women over 50 are the fastest growing demographic in the workforce, which is something that I was quite surprised to hear. And it feels in many respects that after decades of neglect, older women are having a moment. I mean, we've both, I'm afraid, got a five in front of our ages. Do you think that's fair to say? Or are we just perceiving it because we're in that age bracket?
3: I think because there's been all this focus on the loss of senior women in the workforce over the last you know, 15 years, that the women who've managed to survive and stay in the workforce do get a fair amount of focus. Like, why are you still here? And, oh, maybe we should ask you. And I also think that right now, since there is a labor shortage in an awful lot of different areas, anyone who could be brought back into the workforce or convinced to stay becomes more important.
1: It's fascinating, isn't it? Because we've both seen how these... Taboos in the workplace have fallen, actually, But I think it also mirrors the rise in social media. There have been a huge number of startups, actually, around women's health. There's a lot of period products that are ecologically based and organic based that get a lot of play on social media, and people are talking about that now. But there's a
3: lot of money behind this as well now, isn't there? There is, actually. There's some really great stats that suggest that about a billion dollars of venture capital money went into women's health startups in the U.S. alone last year. And that's everything from apps that track your period to high-tech clothing that wicks away hot flashes to, you know, various other things aimed at women that sort of try to take advantage of tech. You know, it could be telehealth, that sort of stuff.
1: Right. I love that phrase, menopreneurs, these women that are making money out of menopause, And there are quite a few of them now. And in this country, we've had quite high-profile documentaries made by well-known TV personalities such as Davina McCall. And that's been huge in opening up the conversation here. But I think we probably both know people who've been misdiagnosed with depression, as actually the women from Channel 4 were talking about. You know, doctors not wanting to prescribe hormone replacement treatment. I mean, there are scares on both sides of the Atlantic that have stopped women from getting HRT. It's not for everyone, but I read a stat recently that only one in 10 women in the UK is taking any sort of hormone replacement therapy. What would you say the picture is in the States, Brooke?
3: I think there's a similar problem because there have been cancer scares and and they're not illegitimate. Just as the, if you think about many years ago with the pill, there were all these cancer scares. So people didn't use the birth control pill. And over time, people have decided as the trade-offs became clear that they were willing to do it. With HRT, the same thing is sort of in that process, but it's probably 20, 30 years behind. I also think, in the U.S., because there are so many things advertised on television, you know, prescription drugs are advertised, and lots of them are quite direct. That has opened up conversations. Lots of stuff about erectile dysfunction has been on TV for years. And I think once the men start talking about the fact they're getting old, it becomes easier for the women.
1: We're even getting those in the U.K. now. And it's interesting that the U.K. government's just announced that it's going to start selling HRT over the counter in pharmacies. So that I think will be another huge shift. So I think it feels like we're on the cusp of something. But in the meantime, huge numbers of people have left the workforce. I mean, I've heard of people with terrible sleep problems and brain fog and also anxiety can be a huge problem for women in their 50s who have had incredible careers and then suddenly start to collapse and they just don't know why. I mean, Brooke, have you had experience
3: of knowing friends or relatives for whom this has happened? I've had a couple of friends who who just really pulled in on themselves. You know, they had been very outgoing and quite impressive and leading the way in combining work and family or, you know, really amazing careers. And then suddenly they sort of just dropped off the map, and I think you later on find out, you know, a couple of years later that it took them a while, but they were having all kinds of trouble sleeping. They were emotional, found they were weeping at inappropriate times, which was really terrible for their self-image as well as their image at work. And so it can become quite difficult. And it undermines efforts to you know, sort of say, like, I am in charge here because suddenly you're not in charge of your own body. Right. And of course, there's the fact that for men,
1: none of this happens. You know, there's none of this very powerful hormonal change going on, either around issues around fertility and also issues here at the menopause. And I I guess that's one reason why you might not want to talk about it at work.
3: I think particularly because many of the women who were experiencing it had gotten through having children and having had to not talk about having children and how it affected their workplace, because this was the period when people were not as open about family struggles And so they're with men who, A, don't suffer from it, and B, already don't want to hear about your personal problems. So I think that added a level of taboo that probably would not have happened if it were something that both men and women had.
1: So I asked Naveen and Landy from Britain's Channel 4 television what advice they would have for anyone who's worried or scared to bring up menopause in the workplace. If you had one piece of advice for people listening, for whom this is a new and potentially taboo topic at work, Naveen, what would you say to them? How would you
2: advise people to open up that
1: conversation?
2: One, I would say it's not as hard as it seems, because actually our policy, when we looked at it, there were additional things that were specific to this, but a lot of the stuff was already in place. We were sort of borrowing from other policies and Mm. wrapping it within the menopause banner. But it's not as hard, and I think... You just need to speak to HR. And my other piece of advice would be, once you have HR and you know it's signed off, I think there's a number of good organisations out there that really helped us. We work closely with Hempicked. Because we weren't experts, you know, we did all the focus groups and we asked our staff what they wanted, which again, another key point, but they really advised us from an expert's point of view. So I would recommend also seeking expert expert. advice. Absolutely. And Landy, do you have any Tips for listeners.
0: All I was just going to say is a year on after we launched it, we published a public version of it, which is just stripped out anything, you know, related just to Channel 4. So if you just type in Channel 4 menopause policy, it'll come up and you can download that and actually just adapt it to your own Mm. company. And it sort of has everything that we did. And actually so much of it is just everyone just agreeing that that's what we should do you know what I mean it's actually a lot of it wouldn't cost a company money or anything and I think the most important thing is just the acknowledgement that this is a thing that women go through Mm. and it just starts there you know so even that is just Mm -hmm. important in itself. I'll put a link in the show notes to that.
2: We did a survey as well as a follow-up once I think a year on it was wasn't it just to get some feedback on it and the survey was just of our members and i think the stat was like 78 percent felt it was better about channel four as a place to work so in terms of companies doing it it's really worth it not least because of preventing attrition but actually just all the really positive feedback we've received since launch about channel four kind of standing behind their values and not virtue signaling but just putting something proactive in place i just think it's a no-brainer for a company really
1: I'm not sure it is a no-brainer, Brooke. I mean, I am broadly in favour of being more open, but there are some serious downsides to being open. I mean, you report a lot on the finance industry, do you think that's progressive? Do you think women can speak up there and should they?
3: I think it's complicated in industries, particularly where women remain a small minority, because it does reinforce the idea that women aren't in control of their thoughts and their bodies. You know, if you're hormonal, should you be allowed to be trading? You know, should you be making serious decisions. And because men don't have this, their perception that women are not in control is going to reinforce sexism. I mean, I think it's fine in creative industries where people are supposed to be dramatic and all of that. But I I do worry that in industries where cool, detached thinking is valued, that this will open up some women to complaints. And we certainly do not want to go back to the place where, you know, if a woman gets mad, she's dismissed as hormonal as opposed to she's mad because she has a legitimate reason. It also plays into the whole question of ageism, I think, because menopause is the end of childbearing. You've clearly reached a new stage. And again, men don't have this. They can sire kids for a really long time. And so their sense that your life is over, you don't want them dismissing you and therefore saying you're not worthy of promotion because you're sort of on the downswing. What do you think is the role of men in all this? We haven't talked about them much. I think men are going to have a stake in making sure that people over 50 don't get written off either because you know in industries where youth is valued I'm thinking particularly of tech men also don't want to be dismissed after 50 and so if they support women who are in their 50s and say, look, these people are valuable, we need to hang on to them. That sort of penumbra carries over to them. And I think also as men also spend more time in child care and taking care of other relatives, they too are going to see their 50s as a period where you're freed up a bit. And you can indeed accomplish a lot because you have the headspace. And so it's in their interest to reinforce the idea that the 50s are a fertile and exciting time rather than, you know, a time where people should get written off and, you know, go sit in their corner.
1: Brooke, I've actually ended this episode more optimistic than I began it, which is um, doesn't happen every week, I have to say. So thank you so much for coming on. I. I do feel that corporate structures are changing around older workers. Weirdly, often it's individuals who have to make that change, but I do think corporates are really bought into this, and it can help people who don't particularly want to speak up. But just knowing that the
3: support is there is huge. Would you agree with that, Brooke? I do agree with that. I think you know companies are coming to realise that it is really expensive to keep having to recruit new workers and train them, and it makes no sense to drive people away when you've already got them. I'm always a believer that if it is financially a smart idea, companies are going to buy in. And I think that is what is starting to happen.
1: So, there we go. What we've learned in this episode is companies should buy into older women because we are awesome, we're extremely good value, and we work very hard. So, thank you to Naveen Alim and Landy Slattery from Four Women and Brooke Masters for this episode. And please do get in touch with us. We want to hear from you and we're at workingit.ft.com or with me, Isabel Barrick, on Twitter. If you're enjoying the podcasts, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Working It is produced by Novel for the Financial Times. With thanks to Anna Sinfield, the producer, executive producer Joe Wheeler, we have editorial direction from the FT's Renee Kaplan and production support from Persis Love. Thank you for listening.